0: Welcome to Inside the Banjoverse, exploring the minds of folk music's great artists. If you love the stories behind bluegrass, Irish, folk and Americana, then this podcast is for you. This is Enda Scal from Irish bluegrass crossover band Wee Banjo 3. Before you freak out, don't worry, there's actually four of us, and mostly just one banjo. That's me. Mike Hanrahan is originally from Ennis in County Clare. A singer-songwriter of great renown, Mike spent 15 years with the band Stockton's Wing and 10 years with Ronnie Drew from the Dubliners. A published author, Mike's 2019 memoir, A Beautiful Affair, A Journey into Music, Food and Friendship, was recently shortlisted for Irish Book of the Year. I hope you enjoy this conversation.
1: Always my game. I've lost a lot by losing you. But would you take a chance? Meet me wherever you please.
0: Leave your kid. So I'm live in Galway with Mike Hanrahan. Mike is in Dublin. Very, very famous and very well-known singer and chef and guitar player. Uh, probably best known for his work with Ronnie Drew and with Stockton's Wing and most recently with Leslie Dowdall. If i have pronounced that correctly, that, felt, that didn't sound very good. Uh, did I cover everything there, Mike? And Eleanor Shanley. And Eleanor Shanley. And, and what was
1: the Tumbleweed album? Tumble... Woods. Tumbleweed was the first band I was ever in. Well, no, first professional band I was in with, with Maura O'Connell. Uh, that was back in the late seventies, when uh, just after I left school, I was I had been playing guitar as a solo artist in her own Dennis and that, and then I teamed up with Maura, and we set up a, a duet called Tumbleweed, and we did our first Irish tour of the folk clubs because in those days the folk clubs were were very popular gigs, and the folk clubs were organised by a central committee. And Joe Gallagher was—he was a guy in Clare. He had a, a folk club in Crusheen. so he or every year they met three or four times a year to organise gigs. So whatever artist was on tour, if they came in from England or America, they could sneak their way around the country one night after another, and they all looked after each other. Now Joe was used to say that the meetings were more like. They'd have the tours organised for five minutes and then they go on, on the tear all the folk club organisers. But it was a really interesting way they did it. Everyone supported the live music. There was Ken Horn down in Clonmel, there was a folk club in, in uh, Carrigan Shannon. They were all over the country and just organised. So it meant that you had no night off on your tour. And your, your trips were really easy trips because you were going from you got from Clare to Limerick, to Limerick to Galvin. It was great. The,
0: the folk club scene was famous at that time, but has it
1: died out? Oh, I don't know if there's a folk club scene at all. No, there's a, there's a few clubs, I think. There's one in Six Mile Bridge I know of. I'd say there's a few. I think what's happening now is uh, there's little venues around the country, little churches, and there's little uh, rooms at backs of bars run by people who really love music. And myself and the have certainly covered quite a lot of them. And that's very healthy because it's like the, the local community are still coming to the gigs. So that fit maybe 200 people. And and because the gigs are kind of rare enough, they might generally run, run two gigs a month. um, Everybody comes and and supports. So that's, that's it's a it's a lovely circuit, gorgeous mm-hmm. circuit. Great for someone who just wants to sing songs and play and have a chat and, and inter, interact with the audience. It's just, and there's no noise.
0: Yeah. And so that was your starting point was was folk clubs. and. What was it like then to jump into Stockton's Wing, which had established itself at that stage, and then you came in as a singer with incredible songs, and it skyrocketed. I mean, such a hugely influential band that still has a footprint in Irish music.
1: Yeah, I'm very proud of what Stockton's Wing did. And I think when you, uh, more so since I left the band, like I went back doing a few gigs now, but I was away for many years doing other things, and and you're able to look back in, at the band and appreciate and what we did do and how how dedicated we were to our, our, our craft because we we very really literally ate, slept, drank our way through Stockton's being morning, noon, and night, and the whole thing was centered on getting the, the, the songs out, getting them written, getting tunes written, getting the tunes arranged, and we would spend days and days and days inside in a, in a rehearsal studios in Dublin. And then we'd present our arrangements so we were we were just dedicated to, to the soundist au I meaning we never we were never driven by money we were never driven by by that looking for fame or anything. it was just about making good music and getting out there and having good crack with the with the gigs. and that's what we did um we recorded quite a few albums but we had some great times we toured all over the world and and it's so nice to hear young bands now tagging the band you know even to hear you saying how influential the band That really means an awful lot mm. to us awesome when we hear that, because it makes you feel kind of, yeah, you've done something to the music and, and people reset it. And I love the younger bands. I love working with the younger bands. You now, Stockton's being made mean, a few of them like Moxie those, And we just, we kind of, we connect. And then there's a couple of young musicians in the band, Tara Breen is with us, I mean, and she was kind of born and reared in the Stockton's Wing tradition. So she gets uh, in perfectly to the band and, uh, carol lynch another great player you know so it's good to connect
0: yeah it, you
1: see doctrine's wing comes
0: up all of the time in my world because anytime i'm asked about banjo and the history of the banjo and banjo in ireland and it's a very unusual instrument in that the proponents of banjo at the very early days weren't in traditional music per se mm. and so Kieran, your brother is always mentioned but the banjo became really popular in what was essentially an irish rock band or a celtic Rock band infusion which was what Stockton's wing was and then you have Jerry O'Connor who was very influenced by bluegrass um, and going back before that it was uh, it was Barney in the ballads so having a conversation about traditional Irish music and the banjo, the three forerunners of Irish music and Irish banjo were actually not in the tradition at all and Kieran made the banjo very very cool particularly that headband
1: <laughs> he, he was pretty cool all right. <laughs> I love throwing him the odd video as when I find one on, online and send it over. Instead, look what you were like one, once upon a time. <laughs> <laughs> and interesting that he his greatest influence was Barney McKenna. Um, Barney used to had this amazing piece of music called Barney's Mozart. It was his stage piece, and it was a really intricate uh, banjo piece. And I think it was an old Mozart tune or something that they had. Uh, Fancied up a bit, but that was Kieran's party piece then, because he learned that from Banjo the playing of Bar- Barney. And of course, when we met the Dubs, then the Dubs became our great friends. Uh, at a very early age, we kind of hooked up the Dubs and, and Barney, and particularly Ronnie, they were great pals to us as well. So it was to us it was we were meeting our our heroes. And I think Kieran Kieran kind of he would have come from a very strict traditional background, whereas I didn't, even though the family were steeped in traditional music, but I kind of was singing Leonard Cohen at at 13 or 14 years of age. Kieran was doing all the And I think for him to to move out of his comfort zone, to try it and get into that and rocking it up a bit and dancing, like he was, (laughs) he moved on stage, you know, (laughs) and uh, I mean, when you hear him now on on Kayleigh, how you think, just, did he do all that? And he did. He I mean, did. He, a, he bit of a rocker, yeah.
0: He sort of cleansed himself with his, his uh, <laughs> uh, solo album as well, which was as traditional as you could get. That's right. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was way back. Yeah. 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 I think it was
0: a kind of a ritual. It was like a confession, sort of.
1: Thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, mea culpa. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you had some, you had some huge hits. Uh, a be- beautiful affair, I think, being the foremost of them. <laughs>
1: Mountains seem to look closer than before, and you wonder why. You know in your mind that there's no good to hide. The only way is living to survive. It makes you feel alive. See how the doors swing open, your life unfolding. So It was great. We we were very lucky. Um, I I I don't even I only write kind of pop ballads and songs, and and so I didn't I never sang trad songs, and so for me having a band to sing my songs was really great, and the, and they they took on lot of songs. But what the, the catalyst was, Peter Curtis produced the albums at that time, and Peter was very innovative in his thinking. He was very very forward looking in, in where he saw the music going. And he found in us a vehicle. But he also found in us a, a bunch of guys who were willing to go anywhere that was for the for good of the music. And PJ was an honest producer. Uh, he had, a, he had honesty about his music. So we gelled together in the studio and we created the sound. And then the next stage was we found a, a, a Radio 2, RT Radio, FM, was just coming on the scene. And they support us. So, and you know yourself, it's, it's all about getting the airplay, getting the music out there. And as, as the guys in RT used to say, you keep producing the hits, the songs, and we'll keep playing them, you know. And once we think they're, they're, they're good for our audience, and they, and they they really jumped on Stockton's wing. So we were, it was all, the, it was just, it was like, for us, those few years, I suppose, from 1980 to 84, were just perfect years where we met up with a lot of people creative people and it it worked
0: yeah and you did some huge huge gigs stadium gigs and i know james brown was in the mix at one stage as well like what was the biggest show that you ever did
1: um well all the festivals were huge the biggest gig for us personally uh, was sammy davis jr i think in lansdowne road we did he, we did a private party with, with uh, Sammy Davis. Uh, he was over with Frank Sinatra and Liza Minnelli, Done the, the ultimate event it was called. And they were doing two nights in, in, in the old Lansdowne Road. And it was a private party the night before, and we were advised to play. And so was Brendan Grace. He, actually, Brendan was invited and Brendan went down then because Sinatra, he, he just basically flagged Sinatra entire entire he used to call Sinatra. He kept just calling <laughs> call Perry Como. That's in his, in, his, in his crack. He was referring to Perry. <laughs> it was so funny. But um, Sinatra fell in love with him, and uh, Brendan ended up moving out to America on the strength of that gig, and he, he, he built a whole career in America. on it. And but we did this. We were doing music, and Sammy Davis came over to us. And, and before the gig and talked to us and then afterwards he came over and he says i really would love to if you guys come and join me on stage tomorrow right? and he says i'll tap dance and that was it was just it was the beginning of two amazing days and i've said it to several people even even when i wrote the book i did a special piece for this because it was a pivotal moment for me in, in my thinking and how i approach life because when i thanked Sammy Davis Jr. on the, on the Sunday night, I he we was in the dressing room with us and I was, we were chatting to him and I was calling, yeah, you've no idea what this means to us, we're so, so thrilled about this and he just stopped me and he says, Mike, life is a two-way street, you know, never forget that. He said, I'm I'm here in Dublin, and I've got the best band I could have on stage with me, that's good for me, he said, and I know I'm good for you, so it's a two-way street, and I've never forgotten it. Mm. And I use that in my life. I teach young musicians. This is what it's all about in life. It's it's helping each other out. So I guess that's a very long winded answer to your question. <laughs> that was probably the, the my favorite of all of, them, yeah. of the big gigs. Yeah, and so why why or how did
0: how did the wing end up winding up then? I mean, I mean with uh, the success, it's something that could have rolled on and on.
1: I don't think I could, I think you have, a, well, for me, I had, I had 94, I, we did an album, we did an album in 1990 called The Crooked Roars, which is more of an acoustic based album produced by Bill Whelan. And I loved that album. And it was a great vehicle for my songs. Uh, at that stage, I was, I was heavily into writing songs. And uh, I was delighted with that, that album. And then we were just doing the same all, circuits all the time, and I was getting tired. I personally was getting tired, the gigs were getting later and I just, I needed to move on and then I had a whole bunch of new songs written that I just didn't see them as, as Stockton's Wing songs and I wanted to go on and, and explore a, a solo career and I had, a, I, I was offered a deal in Germany by a record company and that was my, my move and um, it was time for me, the lads kept going for a few more years but I think Day two appeared roll for them as well. And I just think we had our day. We had we had um we had a, we had maybe eight really amazing years. And now since we're back together again doing a few gigs, we're we're enjoying more than ever because mm. there's no pressure. We're not we don't want to take over any world anymore, you know. <laughs> we just we want we want to make the one we're living in a really nice place to live in and and we want to enjoy our gigs and and we get a chance, Morris comes back sometimes for a few gigs. Um, uh, Cooney has played with us a few times. So it's it's a really, yeah. I, I, where we've come now is much nicer.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I got to experience the fervor, which I hadn't anticipated. And I, I think it was, was it 19, no, what year was that? That we, no,
1: 2000, we played? 2009. Is that when we played an was S, it, is that right? We played Ennis, yeah, and we played, you played in Scotland as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. The the first one in Ennis, and there was two, there was one, and then there was one the following year, but the first the first night in Ennis was insane. I've never experienced anything like it.
1: Oh, the home, the home gigs were amazing. Yeah, are
0: it was that big, big comeback gig, and yeah. you know, I had learnt the entire set, um, I was in the seat of my pants, from my own point of view, I was thinking, <laughs> my god, I'm sitting in here instead of Kieran Hanron, and it was a huge deal, but the intensity in the room was insane. i I've never experienced anything like it, and I'll never forget it. I didn't sleep for about two nights afterwards.
1: Just with the adrenaline <laughs> was so so high. It was it incredible. was huge. Yeah, it was great. The Ennis gigs are always great. But I think now the gigs that we do, the people who are coming to hear us are the people who's come to to hear us years ago, and and they're bringing their kids and sometimes their grandchildren. I like. When we used to play on in on back in the eighties, I mean, th- there was a gig every night of the week, you know, and you were playing to two thousand people every night. Like that's how that's how big it was back then, and, and we toured in, in UK, we toured America. Lots of them we spent we were spending maybe six to eight weeks at a time in America touring. So there was a lot of people who tuned into the wing, and now they get, when they get a chance, it's a kind of a nostalgia vibe for them as well. And there's a lovely connection in in doing gigs, and particularly in Ennis, because we have been really blessed with always an amazing home audience. Mm -hmm. They've supported us, they're proud of us. You know, they're uh, I just love the Ennis gigs; they're so good.
0: I'm I'm fascinated with the concept of touring the US pre-internet, pre- Google Maps, (laughs) uh, without being able to book a hotel online a half an hour. Before arriving, I mean, it, it just boggles the mind how, because it's such a huge country, how you get from A to B
1: without getting completely lost. What was that? Was that crazy? Was, we, what was that like? it, it was wild, but a great uh, agent called Herschel Freeman. He was in, in Raleigh in North Carolina and he was an amazing agent. And he put, he worked really hard for us. And, um, but you used to buy these books of flight tickets, you know, and like, they were they were actually called. It's, it's not really caution now in these days, but they were called flight you die tickets. That's what they were known as. And you get a book. It was like a book of <laughs> a book of raffle tickets. And it was you you pick North Orient where the crowd we used. And I think that their their hub was in in Georgia. So wherever you flew in America, you had to fly through the hub. That was the deal. You get really cheap flights, but the deal was you had to go through. That, that was the pain. So, I mean, sometimes I used to say sometimes if you were going from New York to Boston, you might have to fly to Georgia of course, <laughs> <laughs> to get back up and and that's how it was done. And, and we built, there was a great circuit of a theatre circuit there and you know that yourself is still there Uh the theatre circus was a gorgeous circuit and that's what Herschel had, had clued into and then the, the bluegrass festivals um some of the irish festival we played the first maybe the second or third milwaukee we played that a few times and uh, it was great and then we had tommy mcgann or mate from from uh, uh doolan tommy had a pub in doolan and tommy was a crazy lunatic wonderful <laughs> gorgeous brilliant friend and man amazing guy and he moved to to boston he set up a pub in boston and then he brought us out and and he, he had a place in in Cape Cod. So he was kind of our agent. And um Tommy was such a, a lovely he was he died very young. He died when he went home a few years ago, maybe ten years ago now, fifteen years ago, uh in a, in a car accident. But Tommy would collect us at, at a Logan Airport and you know, one day it might be just the pickup truck and with room for two or three in the front and all the rest of it with the instruments in the back piling. and then, driving the, down, out from, from uh, Logan, out to, to Cape Cod and then another, he might, he could arrive the, at a the limousine, it was, so we got by and we met loads, with loads of friends and, and um, well I I loved tour in America and we toured, just, we did, we did most of the states and we used to do Canada as well, um, the Edmonton and Calgary Folk Festival and all that, so yeah, I loved it, loved, loved, it. I loved working over there. Yeah,
0: it's it's we love it. It's a great country to tour. Yeah. Can't wait to get back. Um, so that the, the the Stockton's wing finished up for you. You went solo for a while, but then you started the tour with Ronnie
1: Drew. Yeah, I had yeah, I did. I did that in two thousand and six. I was with Finbar Fury for a while, and I really enjoyed that. Working with Finbar was such a joy because he's such a uh, such a professional man and the on stage and performer. So I enjoyed playing guitar with him. And then Ronnie. Um, I've been friends with Ronnie for, for so many years, like personal friends. And, and he rang me, he said he had this uh, one man show he was working on. Would I come out and have a listen? And he, he said, I might need a guitar player. Do you know anybody who, who's looking for a gig? And I said, as it happens, I do. <laughs> so, so I went out to the house and I always remember he he, he sang Raglan Road and he said, you take a, a break there now like a solo. And I was just a rhythm guitar player. I, I never, I never took breaks. It's a different technique. I, I had no idea how to do it, and of course my I, my fingers were, tongue tied and twisted, and they were hitting everything except the notes that, that were in the chords we were playing at the time, and it was a disaster. And and I knew by looking at him, he, like I looked over and he was like, "What's going on here?" You know, and I just said to him, "Give me a few days, Ronnie." And um, and I'll, I'll get this together because I really want to do it. So he said, fair enough. And I was always slagging for years afterwards that he made me a great guitar player because he did. He he, he set himself such a high standard of performance. And I knew that if, if it was just the two of us on stage, I had to improve my playing. So I spent literally five, six hours a day training, teaching, learning how to uh, uh, be... be be a voice on the stage because it was only two of us and it was just we had 10 amazing years together really gorgeous years and we toured everywhere we were a recorder i produced a few albums for him and then in the middle of it we met uh, eleanor shanley and the two of them uh, produced this amazing iconic s- single called a couple of more years a song by a man from the guy who wrote sylvia's mother that's sylvia's mother said was that? i forget what they were called and he wrote this amazing song called A Couple of More Years about a old man talking to a young girl. And it was ideal and it was a huge hit. So that guaranteed us a good few tours in Ireland and, and in the UK. But um, yeah, I loved I loved working with Ronnie. He, was, he became my closest friend ever in the business. And I often say when, when I talk about him, and I talk about him a lot at, at my gigs, at my, particularly at my book gigs, and I say he was my dad. He was my brother and he was my son, all in one goal, And it was vice versa because we, we just connected. Uh, there isn't a, there isn't a week goes by, but since I, I did this show on, on, on online and I always talk about him. He's, he's, he's with me all the time. He's even behind me on the wall. I never can see him there. Yeah. He's, yeah. yeah. he's there with me. I was on my shoulder all the time, Himself and my real dad. They're always there with me at all the gigs. Yeah. So Ronnie was
0: an incredible performer. Yeah, because he, he's he is the defining voice of Irish song. To, to, in 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 a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, I think his voice is great. And you know, end up when I was, when I started kicking mean, the First, we did we did Andrews Lane in Dublin. I think we did about a ten week run or something. It was phenomenal, like for the show. And Ronnie used to always always introduce the show, saying, especially on radio, he'd say, "I'm doing a one man show with Mike Hanrahan," and like he, he was he was always so inclusive. Always in close. He never, he never let anything go by. If, if we were doing the late lecture, and and Pat Kenny it was interested. Now we've Ronnie Drew, uh, We have, we have Mike Hanrahan as well. <laughs> oh, he was all of us. But I remember the early nights in, in Andrews Lane, and we'd be doing. He'd, he'd be singing um, uh, McAlpine's few Ears. He'd be doing the opening. It was in the air far away. and I'd close my eyes and. And I'd be drifted right back to my own house because we were reared in our music, and I'd be back there as a kid listening to the Dubners. and and then you kind of open your eyes and say, wow, and I'm here beside him. That's how much it meant to me as as a, as a as an as an artist as a musician was to be here, and then to know how he performed and how he he dedicated his life to the gig, the, right up to the last right up to the last gig when even. We did a gig in, in Dublin, second last gig was in, in, on Paddy's day in uh, in Dublin. And even after that, he was talking about changing things, even though he was really ill at that time. So he was constantly moving and trying to make it better for the audience. Mm. Powerful, powerful man. Well, another little drop on a heart of the Dicey ride. Do taken to the will never give it up. It's all and then You prefer live performance or studio? Um, well. I, i'm not a great fan of the studio but even though i love i love production i love that side of it and when uh, when i was in the business years ago i produced a lot and i really enjoyed i enjoyed bringing things together and getting some ideas that was my favorite part of ever in the studio the recording in the studio i find just a bit' just, sometimes just a bit clinical, you know and you you're, you've got to do the click tracks and all that and but i think the next album will be my my next album will be a solo album, and I think it will be, it'll be very relaxed. I'm going to bring a couple of people, out. Sharon Howley has done a couple of gigs with me, uh, we had a thing, Sharon and Tara, and we had a kind of gig on Mike Hanron with strings attached, and it was really nice, and I think that's where I'll go with the album. It'll be a nice um, acoustic kind of feel to it, maybe a bit of a kit on it as well. But I'll I, I'll see how it goes. I'm I'm much more relaxed in this year. I, I have my own setup here for demos and that. So you kind of the studio? I don't fear the studio like I used to because I used to dread that going an interest studio. Uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back <laughs> to record. And the thing is, with with Gavin, I'm very relaxed in Gavin's company. So. And he consenting to me and i consenting to him and mm. we don't take offense to anything except we all know that we're going to the right areas like if you co-write a song with somebody you know the first thing you do is leave the ego outside and you just work on the song because that's the only reason you're there first so it's always a healthy way to work i think yeah yeah
0: we had rule number six written up on the board uh, at our last album it's a it's a comedy clip, and essentially, rule number six is: don't take yourself too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, because <laughs> no one else does. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. And God, <laughs> e- ego causes so many problems. Or can you know?
1: It's oh God, yeah. It's it's, it's yeah, mad. It's crazy. I remember one time I felt like <laughs> he came in and I, I we set up a songwriting thing, and he came over to me and. And he came in the door and he, and he says, uh, "Before we start though, no, he says, Mike, can we start out the publishing?" <laughs> uh, and and I said, "What? What?" <laughs> I said, "In fact, what I said, with the publishing on what?" And he says, "On the song we have got to write." Which there's no song there. I said, "Why would you? Why would you be? Why, why would you be bothering yourself <laughs> thinking about publishing when we've nothing written yet?" And basically, what he he just killed the whole vibe. Yeah, you know. Yeah. because you don't think about money at all. That's not why you, why you write. You know, I started on I just write because I love writing. <laughs> so I, I said, I, best thing we doing is we we'll have a cup of tea and you can go home then. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> but I never saw him again. Now,
0: uh, a ham-fisted segue, speaking about making cups of tea, uh, you wrote a book, brought it out uh, at the end of last year. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: It was the nicest thing I've ever done in my life. I... When I was cooking for ten years professionally, and uh, I'd been in all sorts of kitchens, and um, and once the, I w- I was trained in Ballymaloo as as a as a, as a went down there as a student, a very old student, um, uh, but I I loved it. I fell in love, and I came back to Dublin and worked in a few restaurants, and then the job came up in, in Cookery School in Balliemaloo as a teacher, so training teachers. I went down to that and I ended up four years in East Cork, one of them was full-time as a teacher, and then I ran a place with Pat Short, and that was really fantastic. Uh, and we used all these amazing uh, local producers, and and they all appear in the book, these incredible producers in the area, and I was trained organic, so that's when, we wanted to have a destination place for good food and good music, and I took over the running of the music in the pub, and. Uh, I remember one time <laughs> there was a fella, and he <laughs> i just had to think about it now. He, <clears throat> he was doing this gig and I talked to him, something very queer about what's going on on the stage because he had keyboards and he had guitars and he had microphones and he had huge sound. And I took one look at him and I, and I got up closer and, and he was doing these solos and guitars. But the fingers were nowhere near where he was doing it. So I said to him after, I said, do, can you play the guitar? Said, no, 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 I can't. I said, Why you do? are you doing it? I said, The crowd think it's great. He says, and, and I said, Do you play the keyboard? Oh, geez, no, no, that's, that's all recorded, pre recorded. I said, would you do sing. Oh, sometimes I sing, all right. He said. <laughs> <laughs> so we played in that night. We said, you need to find another venue. And so I took over during gigs and we brought some amazing musicians in. Um, I remember Roy Buckley, I met him there, I got me back singing on stage again, the great ballad singer from Cork. And I had all these experiences in the cooking, I, I worked in a beautiful place in Dublin called the Arts and Parlour. Same thing, we used all local producers and created wonderful food. So when I was coming to my natural end in, in the cooking, because we was getting tired of it um, and I wanted to go back playing music, I thought it'd be really nice to write a book about it or write something. So I wrote a chapter about Ronnie Drew about food and music. That's what food and music have been like parallel lines in my life. As long as I can remember, I've always loved cooking and, and I've always loved music. So some people said it was crazy to write. And then I wrote a chapter and I sent it into the first publisher. A friend of mine gave me a list of publishers. And I had them from top right to the bottom. And I also started reading about host, the self-publish. And for whatever reason, I went to the top with Harper Collins. And a guy there, Owen, uh, the head of HarperCollins in Ireland, read it. And he rang me and says, I really like this. And I couldn't believe it. And within within two weeks, I had a publishing deal. And he says, you, need, you probably need to get an agent. I said, sure, well, I don't need an agent. I said, give me a look at the contract. I said, we've signed all these record contracts. So we did it as a friendly handshake. And we signed the contract and... and I went away and started writing and they, they gave me an advance, which meant I could I spent hours every day. I'd get up at four in the morning and, and write, 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 write all day long and research and go back. And then I met all the people in my life I met that I to write about. And, and the book was released and I was so delighted. We had uh, I didn't want any photographs of, of food in it because there's a good few recipes, but there's great stories about the people i met. So Charlotte O'Reilly is is an Irish um, artist who lives in in, uh, Amsterdam and we got in touch with her and she sent over a few sketches and we said, yeah, let's go for it. So she, she, she draws these amazing um, illustrations that go go right through the book. And then there's the stories of all the people I met, everybody, all the great people, Ronnie Finbar, Maura, you know, my mum and dad, my grandfather. And it was released in October, and I was so proud. Today, I got the first book of my—the proudest moment of my entire creative life. And and then we were told that on post we're were shortlisted as for Irish published book of the year. I thought, oh, Jesus <laughs> <laughs> So, it has been really a beautiful, beautiful journey. Like the reading, really. I couldn't I couldn't say enough about what it has meant to me. You know.
0: And is there a second book in you?
1: I've been it because the, the publishers are are asking me, and they're saying, "Would you?" And I don't know. I'm, I'm doing a blog every day on, on Facebook. Um, um, I might do that, but I'm also writing. Um, I'm writing a musical, and I have all the songs because I've a lot of songs written that that will fit into the musical, and so it's kind of work of fiction. So it's really interesting. So I think I might concentrate on that as my next writing. i certainly certainly do and I work at it here, just trying to write write a fictional story, which I've never done before. So I guess that could be the next uh, the the next thing I'll write. And, yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: You don't strike me as the kind of guy who's going to put the feet up at any stage and go, "Well, that was that, w- <laughs> that was great. Thanks very much. I'm going to go and play golf and read stuff now."
1: No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That's not really an option. Then it doesn't. <laughs> that doesn't cross my timeline at all. No. Why would you, Jizzy? We've already, like, you know, when you. I lost a couple of friends in the last few years, and and to cancer mainly. And when when you, I've done a few eulogies of my friends, and I think, you know, when I'm here, I might as well make the best of it and enjoy it. And if there's something, I can do, I'm going to do it. And that's why I love working with. Eleanor Shanley, I love working with Leslie. I love being back with the wing. I love doing my book tours. if when we when we started, I love all that. You know. So why would you stop? No. sure <laughs> how Would you say you're restless? Um, yeah, my wife would say so. <laughs> <That's> usually- <laughs> <laughs> if you want to know how I am, ask my wife. That's quite- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Don't certainly certain, yeah, you could be right there.
0: <laughs> that's wonderful, Mike. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us. I, I I feel we could go on all day. There's so much. I mean, we haven't scratched the surface of stories. Uh, but people should go and buy your book, as I, I believe it's fantastic story. Yeah,
1: the book. The book is. Let me see if I have a copy with there. Look at it. See that beautiful. It's letter. a beautiful book. Really, it's a beautiful production, and that's available uh online on amazon or in harper collins if people want to buy it i'd love you to buy it there's also the audio version which i really enjoyed doing because i sang a few songs for the audio one and that was that was great fun wow so you
0: you you you, you narrated
1: it yourself yeah 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 Yeah. i should have to (laughs) i had to i couldn't i I mean i couldn't have an actor or doing it i mean because the book is a very personal journey very personal story and as as you well, said yourself, sure, what else would you be doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, not less. I went up to Gavin and we went up he had a studio in the mountains and I went up and spent a few days with Gavin and we had we had a lovely time. And it was the first time I'd I'd read the book. It was, so it was the first time I'd anyone else had read it apart from me and, and my publishers, because I was talking it I could get the reaction from Gavin. You could hear him in in laughing away and things. So it was a lovely experience. And then we decided to put a few uh, verses of the songs that that appear in the book on on this and that was a nice touch. Wonderful. Wonderful. Mm. So
0: you know, I'm excited to see what you come up with next, Mike. Uh, and when when all of this lockdown and quarantine is over, I'm sure you'll be raring to go no more than the rest of us.
1: All of us, I think, will be that way. We'll be we'll be at the gate, and all of us. <laughs> we'll be like a we'll be like a herd of cattle, just <laughs> <laughs> and we will all be off. And I'll never refuse a gig again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care where it is. Oh. I I I I, don't I, don't, I won't even ask them where I'll just be but gone.
0: We we had uh, Kieran came and played a set of tunes with us uh, in Wheelands last year. So we might do a Wee Banjo 3 Stockton's wing night and we could coax uh, your brother Kieran back on stage with us.
1: Uh, good luck with that one. <laughs> well, we,
0: we, <laughs> we could, we could
1: wink him into it. <laughs> but I would certainly love to come and sing us a couple of songs, Jim. Yeah, it'll be magic. Absolutely, yeah. love it. Yeah, oh, just Let's do that. I love it. Yeah, wonderful. Mike, thank
0: you very much. Appreciate
1: you. My time. absolute pleasure. And it's just a pleasure talking to you. Before you go, you're on, you're on Facebook Live. Is that right? Every day. Every day during lockdown, I've been. I I think tomorrow will be day fifty. And I go on and I I, I write some recipes in the morning for people who want to like bake or or whatever cakes or uh, hot foods. And I research the recipes and I put them up and then I write a little blog and then at 107 every day, uh, give them time time to come back from the job and then sit down, have their bit of lunch and sit down and and loads of people. There's hundreds of people on every day, and the interaction is amazing. And we do recipes and then I sing a few songs, I tell stories and um,
0: Uh, Where can people find that at at 107? Mike Hanlon
1: 46 is my page. Wonderful. On Facebook, Mike Hanrahan 46. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'll pop up a link to that.
1: And I, I've, I've recorded all of them up there, so they're all there. Um, so if people want to watch uh, 49, 49 hours of Mike Hanrahan, it's all up there. Good luck to you. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me.
0: <laughs> Mike, thank you very much. Stay well and stay stay safe, and we'll see you after
1: all of this. A pleasure, and then you too. Say hello to all, all the crew. We had it all. Had the best
0: time. Thank you for listening. If you loved we this episode, please head over to our website, webanjo 3com to subscribe, rate, and do leave us a review. It makes a huge difference. See you next time, Inside the Banjo.